0: studio a in podcast village upper georgetown washington dc this is the best political talk show you've never heard of it's backroom politics with your host and moderator justin russell hello out there in radio land it is time for the best political talk show and daycare apparently you've never heard of uh joining me in studio this is bizarre First of all, he introduced the normalcy here across the table from me. He is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. He's the one we know as uh, the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And to my 11 o'clock is uh, the former... Joe Biden, political operative and lawyer who is licensed to practice in the great state of Maryland in the District of Columbia. He is Dan Lipner, Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Justin. And also across the table at the 1130 mark is our newest member of the team. Oh, yeah. Oh, look. He's smiling. That's awesome. He's enjoying this. Uh, in studio with us is the newest member of the Lipner clan. It's Isaac Lipner. How you doing? How you doing? Oh, he's smiling. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Yeah, so we've got uh, daycare slash political uh, punditry going on, and of course, joining us from the Bay State of Massachusetts, he is the former Huffington Post uh, contributing writer and author of several books, including his latest, "Politics on the Rocks." He is Richard Bino. Hello, Richard. Hello, Justin. You don't have a baby in your studio, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. Okay, so it's unique to us. Uh, obviously, Rob, Rob, the engineer behind the glass, helping us out. Uh, Charlie Bernie, our host here at Podcast Village, always good. And uh, we got a lot to talk about. First of all, there's there's mounting concern in the uh, in Washington about the situation with all of these vacancies that are happening in the uh, in the administration at the highest levels. Uh, today, NBC News is reporting that uh, Donald Trump, the President of the United States, is having second thoughts about uh, the viability of acting Secretary of Defense Shanahan. Uh, in case you don't remember, Shanahan, a former government contracting and aerospace company senior executive. Was uh, n- was going to be nominated, but was announced to be the acting Secretary of Defense for the president after the departure of then Secretary of Defense General Jim Mattis earlier this year. The uh, there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of controversy about Shanahan, uh, but this brings up a bigger bigger point, and this now ha- means that. In the national security realm, we have several, several vacancies that are of concern to many in Congress. And it's now reached over to many of our allies now have concerns. Uh, Alan Morley, start with you. Why is the fact that Shanahan has been acting this long and now the president's thinking about reshuffling the deck again? Why should it be concerning to our allies, and why should it be concerning to Congress?
1: Well, so it's not about Shanahan particularly, um, and it's not even clear how big the second thoughts are. This is not the first time that President Trump when having having made up his mind and having announced it and that's what they've done they they uh Shanahan was the deputy uh secretary he moved up sort of under the under normal uh under normal because he times, was the deputy was, secretary he was of the Defense, deputy secretary right. so he, in unless the president designates someone else it's it's pretty automatic the president occasionally has Stepped around to the person in line, but we don't need to go into that. He he does things in a very unconventional way, and so Shanahan became the the acting. And then a few months later, uh, while Trump, I, I think, was exploring possibilities of other people he likes generals. He's had a couple of generals that haven't worked out that well over time. Um, at the end, uh, Mattis and John Kelly, uh, two four stars to name uh, to name two, um, uh, and and so he was. I think he couldn't come up with another general that 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 was interested and that and that he was interested. So we thought, well, let's try Shanahan, try him out. Well, they've they've had a, a some kind of a working relationship.
0: It's, it's, it's not
1: it's not clear that it's a terrible relationship, but it's all, we don't also don't get reports that they've bonded, that they, that, he, that that the president loves the guy. But it's not the first time that even though he's announced a preference that the president has talked to a few of his old friends. And this is what he apparently did. This is what NBC reports that he did in Normandy when he was there last week. Talked to a few guys and said, hey, so is Shanahan the best guy or do you have somebody else to suggest? He asked at least three people who, of course, <laughs> shared that information, right. and now it's being reported. Right. We don't know what it means. It's it's obviously, if you're Shanahan, you're thinking, <clears throat> what what the heck? Um, it's a little unusual that his name has not formally gone forward. But, um, he, but here's the thing is, though, <laughs> he, uh, back on May 9th, the president
0: announced I- in a gaggle that Shanahan was his guy and they never put his name up formally. Uh, I I, I guess, Rich, historically, I I don't remember a president going to the media saying, this is the guy I'm putting up to Senate, this is going to be your next Secretary of Defense, and then now, uh, over a month later, we still don't have a formal nomination in the hopper on the senate side and now there's talk about being replaced is is this this is not standard operating procedure obviously
2: oh no well t- one thing trump one thing Trump does is he vacillates and that's step one and then step two after vacillating, he talks about how the next person is you know such a great guy, just like he did with um you know for example, with Rex Tillerson at the secretary as Secretary of State then once Rex Tillerson is fired, then all of a sudden you know he goes after Rex Tillerson. The only precedent I can think of about this was actually back in nineteen seventy nine and Jimmy Carter at the time there was the energy crisis remember you know you had the gas right. lines you had protests right. and everything else and you had um so there was a lot of animosity toward president Carter and that year on July 4th of 1979 Carter came out and just said he's going to fire six six government six actual cabinet members on the same day and He's just going to rejigger his entire administration that's a little bit related. I mean, it just shows that you know Jimmy Carter was willing to – he had a in camp, David. He brought a lot of officials up there, one of them being Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton, and they all basically agreed that there needed to be a new approach. In Trump's case, I mean, that's exactly what he does. He tries somebody out. If he doesn't like him, he brings in, some, he brings in somebody new, and he has no problems necessarily doing that. And when he, when he fires one official, he has no problems bringing up a deputy, and having that deputy is in the role of acting. I mean, you look at how many acting members of the president's cabinet there are. It's really, um, it's really, it's really astounding. And my guess is, if Shanahan then comes out, goes up, then kind of goes rogue against the president, Trump will then come out and talk about what a, what a nasty guy or what an awful horrible person, as he said about Nancy Pelosi, uh, Shanahan is. So, as they say, Trump does. want the first thing he does is vacillate. Then, if, the, if Shanahan says nothing about him, he's going to. Trump will probably ignore him. Otherwise, he'll talk about what an awful job he did by right. why the next person doing such a great job.
1: Right, Alan, were you want to? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't. I, I I think it's interesting history to mention Carter, but to for a guy in a desperate position to say we're going to have a major reshuffle uh, strikes me as interesting, but 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 not uh, a precursor to this. What, right. What, what's, what 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 this reminds me of. Um, is what he just did, what the president just did with two potential nominees for the Federal Reserve. Right. He announced it was announced that these were his these guys. Are the guys. And then of course as the as the as the 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 the, the, the background checks occurred and people they things <coughs> they'd said and done emerged Suddenly they were out. Now, Shanahan is got the job. He was Senate confirmed. He was elevated uh, again. This president doesn't always uh, move the, the next person in line. Uh, witness uh, what he did when Jeff Sessions moved aside and he picked the the chief of staff to take over, not the deputy attorney general. Trump does not follow any given set of rules. He loves to think and talk about having the very best people, even though we know and he knows because of right. things that that he says to other people hey i shouldn't have listened to so and so about that guy or nobody told me that the secretary of the interior would have these problems right. or that the epa, the administrator, EPA administrator would have, have or that, that, that the congressman tom price at hhs would would start using the the, the, private the jets the, the federal t- uh, treasury to pay for private flights so the it, it, he, he he you know you have to rely on people around you this president what, does that but he also well, he, but he also um, uh, relies on his own gut instinct which is regularly getting him into wrong.
0: trouble. which ready right, yeah, yeah go ahead Dan Lipner
3: so it's worth noting that in the process of the vetting or lack of vetting for pretty much every position on, on in this administration the poor Chris Christie, a phrase you will not hear me say often no kidding. got killed for all of his uh, his transition work and his vetting which he did, and at least according to his book from the excerpts I've read, that he actually called out that Price was going to be in trouble almost immediately. Um now that's uh twenty twenty hindsight and And since uh, Chris Christie seemingly has no love loss for Donald Trump having been left out in the cold, uh, it is kind of interesting to point out that while the president – I I think it's a little iffy to say – was talking to some of his friends – I don't know if this president yeah. has friends. He has people who who, who ingratiate themselves yeah, upon true. him, and then they immediately flip on him and dump this stuff information no, to the there's press. There's truth in
0: that, but here's here's my question: NDA though. or not? Yeah, no, that's, that too is true.
1: <laughs> but here's here's oh, the Dan, concern: Dan, you're just jealous that he didn't talk to you that's and call true. you
0: a friend. That's true. Hey, but but here's here's the concern. Is you now have an acting Secretary of Defense? You have an acting Secretary of Homeland Security, acting Chief of Staff, acting Chief of Staff. You've got, I mean, your top five cabinet positions. Uh, oh, Isaac's getting a little fussy. Uh, the top, the top five, <laughs> top <laughs> five, he, 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 five he, he positions. Out, uh, Trump, Trump's uh, <laughs> lack of decision making. Oh, that's that. That could be. You've got the top five folks in that that are dealing with. National security issues. You just had the departure of the senior economic advisor, Alan Moore. To me, I think that do are Americans expecting more continuity? Should they expect or demand more continuity? At the highest levels, when you're talking about national security and the economy,
1: well, across the board, the government is at high at the highest levels is 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 filled with vacancies. Um, but should, we've never seen it like this. Should no, it's 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 uh, his- transition period. It's You'll his- never see this. It's historically <laughs> high. Having said that, you say should the people expect more? Absolutely. Are they paying attention? Absolutely not. This is not a big issue for the president. Now, people who care about government, um, I mean, really care about government and how it functions, which is, let's acknowledge, a very narrow sliver of people, is is highly concerned about this because, you know, people make a huge difference in how things operate. Um, but, but the fact that we've got a bunch of acting secretaries and half a dozen cabinet departments is not, is not seen as an emergency but generally by the American people. it's the, Again, it's this narrow slice of people who care about that.
0: Here's the thing about that, though, Alan, is, you know, when, when you talk about an acting who barely has the authority to make key decisions on operational maneuvers, on fiscal uh, issues, on personnel issues— When you start talking about the the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of Homeland Security, the two biggest uh, names in national security in this country, for there not to be any sort of permanent presence at the helm transitions down the line to bad morale. That bad morale, you don't want these people having... Bad morale. VHS is notoriously bad, it's, and it's worse it's not, now. It's not
3: just bad morale, and I have no doubt that, that is a thing to be worried about. The bigger issue for all of these departments is they have mirrors in other foreign governments that they can't build relationships with. They can't foster new plans for this president do Don't get who, too
0: emotionally attached. They won't be there in six months is what are saying. Not only emotionally
3: attached— Bargains and negotiations take months, if not years. And knowing who those parties are that are across the table and who is an honest broker and what the, what the full extent of the issues are that are at play, this president has claimed he wants to reshape uh, the global energy. He wants to reshape uh, the, the relationship with Iran re- reshape a ton of things. And other than foreign policy going through Kushner, it's unclear what that reshaping can do in any kind of meaningful way. Right.
0: Rich Rubino, though, I mean, the the issue is not just with our allies, but our adversaries look at this and going, okay, well, they don't have anybody really making the shots or, or being able to call the shots on this. Uh, is, it, is it? Is this a issue where we may see somebody in a cyber situation? Maybe take advantage of this lack of continuity in leadership. Theoretically,
2: yes, I could actually see it working both ways. On the other side of that, you know, um, President Nixon and Henry Kissinger developed what they called the Madman Theory, that they were always afraid they would always make, try to get the, try to get leaders of other countries to be trepidatious to them because they were so. Um, they they were just just so instinctual that they would act act in any way they choose without necessarily consulting people. So they were trying to make some sort of a fear there. In that respect, people might actually fear what Trump potentially could do. I mean, whether um, the fact that he is so willing, for example, to change members of cabinet or the fact that he's just certainly with his tweets, the fact that he was at one point going after Kim Jong-un saying, you know, we have nuclear devices as well. Um, That could actually, in some respects, make it more more fearful for foreign leaders. But I think what Trump, I think what they're they're starting to look Trump more or less as kind of, I think, an autocrat in one respect, because which I think what Trump essentially wants to be. He doesn't necessarily. You know, want to have to rely on a chief of staff to have this whole, this whole, this organization where the from top down organization, kind of like a corporate type of a structure. I think he wants to make a lot of these decisions himself. I think, if, for example, you know, he certainly would be happy. I think my guess would be if there were no such thing as the United States Congress or no such thing as checks and balances in terms of for in terms of foreign leaders.
0: <laughs>
2: I don't. I didn't mean to make her cry. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's him. It's Isaac. Yeah. It's I'm him. I'm sorry.
2: I'm sorry. Him make you cry. Yeah. Um, In terms of in terms of foreign leaders, you know, one thing that they could potentially think, and I'm not talking about the presidential level, although there is certainly the possibility of impeachment, but I dudleys can be convicted. But when everyone they're dealing with, it's the lame duck syndrome everybody that they're dealing with they know could not be here in six months you know that's why for example every time that got, every time when a governor gets elected for a second term they don't immediately say i'm not going to run for a third term because they want other they want other 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 leaders of other states they want members of the legislature to think they're going to be there for a long period of time um... i think that there's always that 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 fear with certain members of the trump administration you know it's much as he lauds them as much as he praises them um, six months from now they could be having somebody with a completely different agenda right. who's, more, who's more perhaps Trump-centric all they have to do is something that's not that does not fit into Donald Trump's mold or perhaps be too accommodationist with the, with the Congress, with the foreign leader, something to that effect so I think they're just scratching their head because one thing I think foreign leaders and I think just people in general want is continuity, they want the same they want to know that this administration this is what their policy is going to be not that they're going to vacillate and they're going to change and that they could change essentially on a dime, or for that matter, based on political considerations in the United States.
0: Dan Lipner, then Alan Moore.
3: So it actually goes a bit bigger than this. And stepping away from just the foreign policy vacancies to the the madman theory of government, and in this case, the madman is our guy that's in, in the presidency. The surrealness of the Fed last week, talking about... It stepping in if the economy faltered because of the risk of the tariffs that Trump has been threatening to uh, levy on Mexico. Thankfully, he's backed down from that. However, the Fed stepping in as a normalizing actor to tr- try to use its tools to undo the economic chaos that this president would be wreaking is something to note and also something to be fearful of. That's something that the Fed is not supposed to be involved with at all. Right. And this president's actions, and I have no right. doubt this president mm-hmm. is thankful for the Fed's statement since it mm-hmm. it uh, helped Wall Street, but it's definitely something to be troubled by, that even within our own government, there isn't a whole lot of faith in what this president is going to do and, worse yet, what other people have to do to respond to it. Alan
0: Moore.
1: No, I. The president may or may not have been pleased. I was pleased um, because the market went back up five percent um, after after uh, after the Fed chair said we're paying attention. We're you know we have we have things we we would be prepared to do um, because they're looking at the broader metrics here, and they think if the if the tariffs would have a disproportionate negative impact, um, there there are things they would be willing to look at and consider, and and. That that was the kind of reassurance that that Wall Street wanted uh, uh, in, in response to this crazy idea. I wanted to say something, because Rich made an interesting point historically about Nixon and, and Kissinger. And and, and the difference between those guys back then... You, they knew what you, they were doing? You kind of imagine <laughs> yeah, thinking, yeah. thinking <laughs> that. that this is a conscious plan. You know, we'll yeah, be a little yeah, you're right. good cop, bad cop. Um, we'll watch out for the madman. We don't have that conscious activity here. We just have a madman. We just have a guy... Oh, who, we don't have good who, cop, who, bad guy. We cop. Who, we just have cop. We just have this one guy yeah. and, and, and who, who will tweet... Um, uh off the top of his head and then sometimes get really lucky and we'll talk about that later yeah. um uh it and and then and then also simply say he'll declare victory and walk away um when he thinks mm, maybe I got out over my skis on that one um so so there's there I I wanted to say one thing about if you have per, if you have permanent members of a cabinet that, that, that is no guarantee whatsoever. We know that with this administration, and, and not just this one, but particularly with this one. So you have a secretary. That doesn't mean the rest of the world knows, okay, everybody's in place. Great, we're fine. It's As Rich said, this president likes to be the decision maker. And mm-hmm. if he wants to grab something from defense, from homeland security, from any other part of government, he's going to take it yeah, but the problem from with that, that is, secretary. Yeah, but the
0: problem is. And, and I think it was Dan and, and Rich that pointed out is that, you know, you have foreign counterparts. And there's a lot of key decisions that are made between the uh the minister of you know, the defense minister of England and our Secretary of Defense. The Secret- the Minister of Public Safety in Canada and our Homeland Security Secretary. Those are big, big deals that are happening on a daily basis that there's no way that a permanent minister is going to start making long term decision long term strategy goals on, on stuff that amounts to our national security, with somebody who's not going to be there. In well, the when, let me remind when you. was
3: Both national security advisor and secretary of state. There was nobody that doubted for a split second that she didn't have the ear of the president immediately for any
0: issues she discussed. No. Who was it, making the it, who was but, making the call on this stuff.
1: But but the point is it's the point is it's not about whether they're permanently in the job or acting in the job, and just and just to 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 pick on the example you used, there ain't nothing permanent about ministers in the U, in the UK government right now either. So All right, that's true. So, so that, okay, they're, okay, okay. they're that's fair. constantly turning. But but wh- one of the things that happens when you're acting, when when you're an acting member of a, at a senior level, is you are by your nature cautious because if you if if you get too assertive or aggressive as an, serving in an acting capacity, you run the great risk of offending. Your president, um, you're higher up. If you're in a cabinet agency, uh, or or people in the Congress, and so it, it's why we so rarely have acting people as a as a normal plan. Uh, when I served as Under Secretary of Commerce, I was able to go in as an acting. But it's because I came from the Senate and I knew the people on both sides in the Senate and they blessed me going down to become acting undersecretary before I later got confirmed. It's highly, highly unusual to do that. It's not unusual when somebody leaves to put somebody in on an acting basis, but they've already presumably been confirmed. So they've got some uh, credentials and credibility. Mine happened to come from from the Senate. It's just unusual. But it didn't mean. But but if you're Acting, you're more cautious. You're more careful. Well,
0: you're not going to be making key. You're not going to be making key decisions. Well, you
1: might. You just have to be careful because yeah. it could get. It, believe me, it can get you into trouble. But but in this case, you can be the cabinet secretary. Anytime, anytime make that, a decision and still be in trouble. Just, anytime that just I ask met Krista Nielsen, ask Jeff Sessions. We got a whole bunch of of sitting members who, as cabinet members got got walked out the door zinky at interior uh devos is kind of walking on thin ice um their secretaries or were secretaries and they're gone now
0: but but i can tell you right now that in dealing with uh, foreign governments and dealing with at the secretary level here in government anytime that i've gone in and made an ask on something that was high level that was a key policy strategy the acting would always say yeah we can't pull the trigger on that i just don't feel comfortable pulling that authority right now i'm the acting and that just brings everything
1: to a standstill i mean that that's just bottom line well it okay you're 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 overstating the case decisions are made constantly usually negotiations with other countries take months and years They can be slowed down. Sometimes they may not be able to to make the final decision. But with this president, even when you make a decision... But, the, but I'm talking about day-to-day day,
0: operations talking, inside the department. Day-to-day
1: operations go on every time we have a new election. You've got a lame duck. You've got an acting. You've got a time for new people to come in. It's there's nothing unusual. What's unusual is that right now, two and a half years in, we've got more vacancies than than I think historically just about any other administration has ever had after just six months. And they don't have names for right. a lot of senior jobs. Right. All right,
0: we got it. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm getting like all kinds of weird hand motions from the booth right now. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, fake news or fake tariffs? This Mexico deal's got everybody scratching their head. We're going to talk about that. And we've got all kinds of background noises going on here in backroom politics. It's And Dan Littner's getting all paternal right now. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Stay with us had a showdown when I think of him how much I love him
1: I got a desperate notion that's the way I feel today my heart is aching because he's making a plaything of my devotion
0: that's the way I feel today living i'll soon be giving my body up to the ocean that's the way i feel today From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And we're back here in Studio A. Uh, Rich Rubino out there in the Bay State, in studio, I got Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, latest edition, Isaac Lipner, he's, uh, oh, it's feeding time apparently here in Studio A. Behind the glass, uh, as always, Rob the Engineered and Charlie Burney, keeping us honest, our host here. Uh, so, I, I'm sure everybody listened to our show last week with concerns about really expensive Chipotle and guacamole. Um, the reality is, apparently, we've averted disaster, uh, the president, in his negotiating prowess, has managed to set down the hammer and convince the Mexicans scare them off their roost and get them to sign on on all kinds of stuff. Like you got to talk into the microphone, actually. That Dan. they
3: signed on two months ago. Well,
0: now you see. Now, spoiler let alert! Let, you got to let me, let's me lead, do in. lead in. Lead in. You, you, you ruined my lead in, dude. Feed Isaac. I'll <laughs> oh, let me run this show. The um. So yeah. So as Dan willfully pointed out. All these great negotiation tools were point were done apparently back in December or or early April, and there's all kinds of questions going around, and there's so many. So you're both wrong.
1: I, we're both wrong. How are we both wrong? How are we <laughs> I both was wrong? Letting you, I was letting you have it. But all right, but, but, when but how said, are we both wrong? Well, when you said all of these things were were agreed to way back. We don't even know what the it is. There's some missing pieces. Wait a minute. Donald
0: Trump had a piece of paper at the press gaggle today that said it had all the details of the... He had boxes of paper
3: that showed him uh, disconnecting himself from his businesses. Nobody's seen any of the papers in those boxes. That's true.
1: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> there are some that it, 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 it He way, way, way overstated what was achieved. Did he? This president? So, so there's he? no question. I, about, I don't believe that. There's no question about that, but... Um, there's still some details we don't know, and there are were a few things that were that were quote, pre-negotiated. That were, quote, well, no, no, that were quote new. Yes, much of it had been. Coming together over recent months, some of it by poor former Secretary of DHS Kristen uh, <laughs> Nielsen, um, uh, who had parts of it together. Uh, some of it takes is going to take action by the by the by the legislature in in Mexico. Apparently, changing their asylum rules, uh, they're going to send more National Guard people down to the border than they had previously agreed to. Um, and then there's there's other stuff that 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 that's not clear. It's Here, like but, 300 more
3: National Guard. Yeah, people and the nation, numbers
0: I, actually. Apparently, the, the, the Mexican
3: the, National Guard has existed for all of 20 minutes.
0: It, it, <laughs> actually, actually, the number is 400. They did increase it to 400 pers- additional personnel, which I believe it gets it up to 4,000. Which for a border
3: size that large, is... I
1: think the new number is 6,000. 6, and I don't know what the original number was. The fact of the uh, 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 look, we can. We can agree. Let's 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 try to get the facts as accurate as we can before we ridicule the the deal. Much of it had been agreed to. The president exaggerates what was achieved here. Um, if you all remember, a week ago at this table, I said, you know, I have this feeling that we're not going to be imposing those tariffs. It wasn't because. I knew how it was going to play out. It was because there was so much pushback from everybody you can think of against this particular presidential endorsed strategy. You had the Mexican foreign minister
0: coming out as late as yesterday saying that, you know, a lot of the claims – we don't know what is coming out of Washington – we, this is the first we're hearing about this stuff. Well, Will that I, was that was you... the
1: big claim about they're going to buy a lot more of our farm products and no one knows what that refers to. Right. That was the big one that we don't know what that is. It, it was not part of the conversation. It's not part of anything.
0: Well, well, there was also, according to the Mexican foreign minister, he's saying that, you know, the deal on uh, detention protocols in Mexico He's like I don't know what this new stuff is but we've got a signed document from back in December. Uh there's all kinds of mis misfires, over exaggerations, uh, just just amateur mistakes being done on something that's being that on negotiations that are happening with our largest trading partner or one of our largest trading partners.
1: So so this is another case where the president ignores the advice of just about everyone around him probably a couple of of folks said yeah do it yeah do it um and, but but by and large the people inside the white house in the cabinet out and around in the congress both parties don't mess with this. Don't do this. You're you're abusing your tariff authority, etc. And and this isn't the way to get them to cooperate by holding a hatchet over their head um, and say you're going to pound them if they don't do something. Much of which they've all you've been talking about for months, and that they've agreed to do. Then when they agree to something with a few tweaks. Then you claim victory and you say, look at what I did. I was right all along. And now we've got this great deal and it's going to fix everything. And the president's creating a new problem for himself because as, just as he's claiming we've got this brand new deal – uh we'll see what the immigration numbers are three months, six months down the road. And I don't think they're going to be that different. And then he's going to have to figure out how to explain then this great new deal that the, the that immigration he put numbers together. should
3: not be glossed over, uh, even though I, I have a baby in my arms, so therefore cannot pull up the numbers myself. Uh, I believe uh, illegal border crossings are on their way. Up, much Correct. much higher than they were at the conclusion of Obama's administration. Correct. And yeah. this president who's been uh, shouting from the mountaintops how but, much but better and stronger he will but, be but, on but, illegal immigration. But here's immigration. the thing about that. No, that is, no, this is
1: why this is no, – no, no, no. No, but, but here no, – this no, no, one. Trump on. triggered his yeah. threat against the Mexicans. No, I, I understand. The, this, we'll, we'll triggered it triggered but no, he's, he's, he's no we've longer a people a month coming he, across. He's no longer it's than new guy in he, the job. It's why he fired uh, Kristen Nielsen. No, no, no. I mean, he's but he, he's creating. He, he is creating his own
0: crisis. Yep. He is literally creating his own problem. And every time, look, the numbers prior to Donald Trump saying, "I am pulling all financial aid going south of the border," were definitely below. The eighty thousand mark. Since he's done that monthly, we have seen an increase of at least twenty five percent, going up to as high as yeah, yeah, one hundred and twenty thousand yeah, yeah. in one Cor- shot.
1: Uh, correlation here is not causation. The the the, the reason How- that those numbers have risen is not for, for, for one per, It's not this point or that you, point or you, another. You're, me you're, you're, dollars- you're,
3: you're giving this president more a a, a more generous. Uh, Take on on the nature of the issue. Mind you, in any other circumstance, I would actually say that would be accurate. However, this president correlation and causation. He I don't know if he knows what those things mean. So I'm the, not, the, the,
1: the, I'm not having the debate with him. I'm having the debate with with Justin no. who's saying because we said we were going to cut back our aid, which we have not done. Um, but because we started talking that. about when he started talking about it, that Justin's saying that triggered this huge outflow. And I say that was an issue Along with a whole host of other issues, the biggest one in my judgment being that, that the, while the situation is not improved in those three countries, the, the fear was the doors to America are closing. Get going now. It's your last best chance. We contributed to that. But that's the much bigger contributor, in my, in the, my mind, yeah, than, you know. than the aid, which was not very effective, Rich, that, that yep. we're sending to those countries. Rich Rubino.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, first of all, whenever I see that, whenever I hear you know, the, pre- the, president, the president essentially declaring victory, I always think of what George Akin used to say in Vietnam. The, Senate, the moderate Republican senator from Vietnam he used to say, just declare victory and go home. And that's essentially what Trump's geo. That's Trump's grand strategy on almost everything. You know, he holds up a piece of paper and he says, "I have this agreement right here, one page." To, you know, the Mexican government says, "What?" But you know, that then I can't, it's almost like Joe McCarthy used to hold up this used to hold up this piece of paper and go to rallies and he'd say that you know there are 209 communists and they have them on this piece of paper, and not show the piece of paper. Um, in terms of Trump, not only but is an issue with border crossing, but also the trade deficit. Remember when he was running for office? I mean trade. I mean. Tariffs. That's this is the one thing that Donald Trump has believed in his entire political life is tariffs as a grand strategy. Whether it's retaliation, recriminations, or economic um, prosperity for the American people, bringing in revenues, he wants tariffs essentially for absolutely everything, and the trade deficit. Um, which one of his big issues was not, only the, but was not necessarily the budget deficit? We're going to decrease this trade deficit. Everyone's, everyone's um, ripping us off. The trade deficit is not going down. The trade deficit is at record, le- is at record levels right now. As are the as are the, the as is the immigration in terms of um, immigrants coming from Honduras and Central and Central American countries. So you know he's going to declare victory no matter what, and he's going to, as they say he's going to declare victory and go home. But the question really is what is the victory here? I mean, and he can. He'll negotiate I, look, look, I will tell you right Mexico. now. Of
3: of the issues that this president has proclaimed that he was going to fix because it was easy, are any of those numbers going in the right direction? Any of them? No. (laughs) No. I will tell you right
2: now. He'll make it out out (laughs) somehow. Somehow he'll say the exact opposite, and he'll say that he's fixed this, he's ameliorated this. And there are people in this country who are going to believe everything that he says, and they're going to say that, you know, what the president's saying, it essentially must be true because there's such
3: confirmation bias. As,
0: as long as in this Fox country, News doesn't cover it, people, yeah. No, you know? no, but, but here's the thing as somebody, as somebody who's dealt with immigration and and has had literally direct, direct interface with these people coming across these borders, whether it's a water side or a land side, I am telling you, this is something that we have to rely on the Mexican government to help us fix this problem. And by doing fake papers, fake, you know, he he literally holds up this document today saying that, you know, hey, here's the deal right here. I don't know which one for the press gaggle said, hey, show us the paper. What's on there? He goes, the best deal ever. Puts it back in his pocket and walks away. (laughs) I mean, this is this is the type of lunacy that does not give our critical partner in Mexico any sort of reassurance of we're dealing with somebody. You know, we're dealing with a straight shooter here because they're not. Uh, Other than the prince in Saudi Arabia
3: and Putin, who else? Who? What foreign leaders do have faith in this president?
0: Netanyahu. Maybe Netanyahu. Um, but 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 again, when we're talking about uh, a national security I have, I, problem,
3: I'm wait. not certain BB is so so comfortable with uh, with uh, Israel's national security. BB's uh,
0: Trump's hands. First of all, BB Netanyahu's got his own problems right now. Uh, but but the reality is, we're sitting here looking at the president parading around a
1: fake deal. That so let, I mean, are you saying minute, that's on. not a fake? That's not a fake deal. It appears to there appears to be several a real deals agreement the president is claiming credit for it on the basis of the tariff threat that is demonstrably and provably false but it looks like these various pieces that have been in the in process for months some pieces agreed to some not finalized are now part of a written agreement and the tariff threat appears to have made a bit of difference at the end. Now, what the president does, as he's always inclined to do, is claim full credit and link event A to to event B. I threatened a tariff. The Mexicans uh, uh, weakened, came across, and now we've got a great deal. It makes them furious. It makes anybody in America who's in the know embarrassed. But the bottom line is, as you accurately say, Mexico is our critical partner. We have not treated them well for the last two years, two and a half years. We imposed uh, a whole set of steel and aluminum tariffs on them and, and on Mexico. We threatened them. We 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 we. Put them down. We put the we put Mexican people down. I mean, originally in his in his first comments, the president talked about about Mexicans being the the thieves and rapists. But Mexicans are not the ones coming across, partly thanks to NAFTA. The evil North American Free Trade Agreement, many, many jobs for Mexicans are on the other side of the border. Okay. That's played a huge but, but factor. Here's... But the people coming across are from Central America. They're passing through Mexico without much interference. And we need Mexican help to get a causation. handle on this.
0: You talk about causation. When you When I mean, look, I will give credit to the Central Mexican government right now in Mexico City, for having the patience of Job, only due to the fact that you've got your neighbor to the north screaming bloody murder about, look, we're taking back all the funding, whether they've done it yet or not, that threat still gets broadcast throughout Latin America that key funding for key issues down in, whether it's criminal justice support or training, whether it's helping in humanitarian aid, that word gets back, that means that the chaos that's currently in Honduras is going to get worse in Honduras. I can't stay here. We're moving out. What incentive is there for the Mexicans to say, you know what, we will help now? Well, the the,
3: the real problem is, as Alan has correctly pointed out, we're not actually talking about the problem. The problem is the governments in Central America, where all these folks are coming from, are in chaos. They are essentially failed, failed narco states, and the question is, how do you stabilize there? So, as long as people are fleeing, as while it, there's some debate as whether or not they're refugees or economic refugees, regardless, they are fleeing because there is chaos in their homeland. Now, we can choose to sit there and go, hey, we're just going to build a wall. Uh, Sorry, it sucks to be you. People are still going to flee. And the question is, what do you do? And the question is, at a couple different fronts, the humanitarian aid side of it, if that humanitarian aid is first sufficient, and if it is sufficient, is it being distributed in some kind of fair way? I don't know if that is true, and Alan, I'm sure, can speak and, to that not want to And I
0: don't want to get into a discussion about— But even
3: our Hawk president, if he wanted to offer military aid to stabilize, it is not an unheard of thing. In fact, there is a big argument within foreign policy w- land that the— Strong-arm dictators generally take control when there is that kind of chaos. So those who are not necessarily just in it for their, their, themselves well, look, and their and their glory, the we have the, never the we have States States not in dealt theory with could back a strong, a strong man to
0: simply clean up the streets. We have we John have dealt Holland with that. we have we have dealt with in the past dictators in Latin America. Whether you want to talk about uh, the Sandinista government, whether you want to talk about. Uh, you know the military junta in in Panama. It's not just you know, Central okay. America. It's all it's you know, all over okay. the planet. Yes, you know. But, but but here's the thing: is we have never dealt with a trans global network of criminals the way we have to deal with the Sinaloa cartel, the way we have to deal with MS thirteen, the way that we are seeing the rapid rise. Of gangs. You're you're saying Pablo Escobar was not a transnational threat? Pablo Escobar was part of the government. I will give you that. But the government also tried successfully at the end to, with the assistance of the United States, fix that problem yeah, they with got the of the they United got States. States. The but what we have not el dealt el Chapo with was the mexican government quickly realized this was too much for them to deal with and they extradited <clears> but look it. at the two countries you're talking about you're talking about colombia and mexico the reality is those two are far more developed than we've ever seen coming out of nicaragua el salvador and honduras that's and bottom ar- line. Ar- arguably because we paid a lot more attention that and helped to them to colombia and mexico yes yes they're key trading partners in latin america
3: prior to the cocaine epidemic of the 80s what was our interest in colombia my foreign policy expertise does not go that far back but i'm going to go out on a limb
0: and say not significant it, it, no it was very it was very strategic back in the day you're talking about you're talking about a key port uh, in stemming the tide of communism in latin america you're talking about the country back, that right goes next back to the truman to, doctrine that's a, no, no, but what no but what i'm saying is you asked what the strategic value was we now know what it is. No, strategic value. We've des- we, we've decided strategic
3: value all over the place. I'm saying specifically Colombia, and outside of the strategic value of I, the I, see USA, all right, I see what you're saying. I'm going to go out on a limb. It's, it's but, but the, until but the, but the cocaine line epidemic when we really focused our attention. And lo and behold, that attention in a focused, reasonable way can actually produce results. Alan Moore.
1: Yeah, no, our, our, our strategic interest there was the, the, the mass production of drugs that were finding their way up here. Um, um, and and a fact, that it's a big country with 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 a, with some traditions of interest and that that had some potential. Um, the, the the sad fact of of the the three countries that are providing most of the the current refugee current uh, not refugee. triangle f- f- certain people coming uh, seeking to get to America don't have a lot to offer us other other than trying to stop the flow of people <clears throat> now the role of mexico in all of this is, is 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 worth noting there's a huge distance between between honduras and and america you got to cross mexico historically people who are fleeing persecution go to the next country over where if they can be safe they hang out for a period of time in the hope that they will return the problem has become now that that um, that uh, that America is a magnet for Latinos um, throughout uh, uh, Central America and Mexico. They want to get to America. They don't want to get to Mexico and they're not particularly welcome in Mexico. So Mexico makes a judgment that says it's this way, pass on through. And, 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 it, and it violates all the historical ground rules around what, what constitutes being a refugee, where you go. They don't want to be temporary refugees in a neighboring state. They want to get to America, assimilate, and they want to get there fast and, now because they're worried that the rules are going to change and, and that— And that, that, and that these three countries will, are going will, to turn further into chaos? It doesn't matter what I mean. They're they're not going to get stable in what? the near term, and they're not a, an attractive enough place to sit in Mexico in a refugee camp, and in and, and the hope that three or four years from now you can go back to your homeland. You'd rather go to America, earn some money, get your get your get your kids up there, and maybe you can send money home. And and and, and Mexico has become what? their partner. And not our partner, and so w- what that means is a negotiation with Mexico. We've talked about it uh, to a, a great extent. The, the we need to you... help Mexico do it, and we need to help pay for what Mexico does. Any
0: time that I have go interdicted, any <laughs> anytime that I have interdicted a a group of alien migrants coming into this country. I can tell you, I have had conversations with them that say that they do not truly want to leave their homeland. These are very proud people, and they want to see their homeland succeed. They want to stay home. That's where their heritage is. That's where, many times, a vast majority of their family is. But when it comes to a point that they cannot leave, that they cannot stay there for threats of personal, financial uh uh humanitarian issues that is an issue there they shouldn't have to leave we should be working with an advanced latin american government like mexico and trying to come up with a solution that says look we know you want to stay in these countries we know this is your home let us help you make it better instead of Dealing with the flow north, why don't we try and do things to make Latin America – because the bottom line is if we work with Latin American governments, they become more sustainable. We crush the gang mentality down there or the narco mentality down there. If we can do that, then
1: we have another trading partner down there. Am I am, am I wrong, Alan? Well, it, 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 you you're not wrong in and and we've invested hundreds of millions of dollars a year in those three countries and we have very little to show for it now I don't know the details of what our aid has been. I didn't like the what, when the president simply said he was going to shut off aid to those countries. Um, but I, at the same time, I certainly was not going to defend the results we were getting for our very considerable annual in, investment. Um, but the point is we need to work with others, not unilaterally uh, issue dictates to the Mexicans to the Central Americans talk about walls, demonize the people coming across. It's it, it's tone as well as policy that matters, and and nobody really wants to work with a president who demonizes your people, your neighbors, all Hispanics, threatens you, says he's gonna he's gonna punish you with this or punish you with that. I mean, it's not the way to to. to to treat allies, that historically, it's not the right way to treat allies. If you really want to get them to do something, wow! This time, the president occasionally. This also president. Written, no gets evidence a little that lucky. any of this right. has
3: worked. Also, the, let's go with the even the the migrants that have been interdicted and, and held are being horribly mistreated. I believe we've we crossed the line yeah, for the 9th or 10th kid that's died in, That's a whole <laughs> other show. And the separated from parents. The 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 entirety of it, of the, if we're just brutal enough, this will keep them from coming. There is no evidence that any of this is working. Hey, Richard yeah, Rich Bino, go ahead.
2: Yeah, no, I was just going to say just around that, it sounds a little bit like the... Um, you know the economic sanctions argument in places like Venezuela or Iran, for example, basically that if you can try, if you if you if you can make the make the economic situation in somebody's home country that awful, eventually there's going to be some sort of rebellion, and then they're going to and then you're going to get a trading partner that way. But I very rarely see a situation where that actually where that actually um, materializes. But
0: I would I would argue, Rich, I would argue that Venezuela is a great example of where. We helped them develop their their oil uh, their oil company Pedavesa, and turn it into a huge money maker uh, that country still sits on one of the largest uh, oil deposits in the hemisphere if not the world yep um, you know we continue to do that oh, no, by the way, the same could be said if we were to do exploration off of Honduras, El Salvador, uh, Nicaragua, the similar situation might be there. but Oh, by the way, my sister-in-law, uh, you were asking about our trading partner. My sister-in-law, uh, Her Royal Highness from uh, Queens, said that uh, coffee, we are forgetting about the coffee trade. And Colombia has a very strategic value to this country. And apparently Isaac agrees. Don't you, Isaac? Don't you, Isaac? Yeah, you do. How you doing? I, exactly. Uh, with that... Or brings us to another close of another interesting episode of Backroom Politics Daycare. Uh, thank you very much, Rob the Engineer, Charlie Bernie, thank you for being always the ever-gracious host. Uh, Richard Bino, thank you for joining us out in the Bay State, in studio. Isaac, Dan Littner, Alan Moore, we will be back next time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. Hey, by the way, you can follow us on, on uh, Instagram, follow us on Facebook, our website, backgroundpolitics.org. You can also uh, download us as your favorite podcast on iTunes or what will be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you soon.